Good evening, everyone. Friends, uh, if you don't know, this is our third Mass of the day. We had confirmation Masses uh, with Bishop Eusebio Elizondo was with us today. And um, we had 50-plus uh, confirmandis, uh, two First Holy Communions. And I'm going to assume you don't dress that way all the time. Like a princess, you look wonderful. Uh, and fitting for your first Eucharist, right, Lorelei? So you're ready to receive Jesus for the first time in the Eucharist? Amen. It's been a, a long day, but a joyous one with all the sacraments. And we're, I'm so pleased um, to be able to do this, uh, to be your pastor in this time that you will remember your first Eucharist. Friends, in Jesus' time, for the Jewish people, it was considered to be sinful and punishable to try to entrap somebody especially falsely. And we are told the religious leaders tried to entrap Jesus with their question, is it lawful to pay the census, the tax to Caesar? And Jesus, he calls them hypocrites for that, but for some other things too. You should know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians were not friendly towards each other. They hated each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees held different theologies and a different idea about church, what we call church, what they would call uh, temple. The Herodians, uh, they were, excuse me, young lady, they sucked up to the king <laughs> and to the Roman government, King Herod and to the Roman Empire, and they were considered to be hypocrites and sinners of great degree, both by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Herodians, for the most part, thought the Pharisees and the scribes were religious fanatics and zealots. You see what I'm getting at? They hated each other. Although all these groups detested each other, they conspired against Jesus. They found something in common with each other, nothing good. And they would try to discredit Jesus. The question posed in the gospel was a controversial one of Jesus' time. And here is the, the way they hope to entrap him. If Jesus answers them and says, pay the tax, the Pharisees would label him a traitor of the Jewish people. If Jesus said, don't pay, the Herodians would label him a traitor to Rome and he should be executed. Jesus knows the trap and gives an amazing and a famous response that used, is used by the secular people often. This famous response applied not only to the people of Jesus' time, but to our time. Repay to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what belongs to him. In this, the Lord Jesus is saying that we have a responsibility to Caesar. Now, Caesar, I'm going to use a play on that, government, because that's what Caesar was, government. So, Jesus is really saying there is a responsibility. Each generation will have to learn how to navigate properly between the two. As a matter of fact, St. Thomas More said, you must be a good citizen, but you must be a faithful servant of God first. In our time, there is an issue between church and state. Long, long time ago, 
folks felt that church and state should be one. Did you know that? In the Middle Ages, uh, it was, and I'm going to, oh, I don't know. There's no way but to say it. They had a saying, they said, the union of throne and altar. That is detestable to me now, but that's what they called it. The challenge is what throne, what altar are you talking about? My friends, the truth of the matter is governments come and go and political powers wax and wane. Parties come and parties go. This is the way it has been. It has always been. I don't want the church to be an arm of any political party. The opposite extreme is to say that not only should there not be a union of church and state, but there needs to be an absolute wall of separation between church and state. My friends, in reality, there is no such thing. I cannot officiate at a Catholic wedding without the state issuing a permit. Did you know that? Do you know that the state has the right to take away my ability to wed a person to another? Yeah, you guys didn't know that. Yeah. Church and state. Friends, the state regulates how we build our churches and schools. Believe me, I'm getting a good taste of it here in Gig Harbor as I try to even just put up a sign that's bigger. The state steps in if there's criminal activity that takes place on any church grounds, and in truth, um, there is no legal grounds for the right of sanctuary. Most people think there is, but there isn't, which provides immunity to a person from being arrested or, in, as we understand, deported. The state can come in at any time they want, but they don't because, oh, that's way too much trouble. <laughs> but there are benefits also from government. Protection, policing, fire, those are all government things. The government exempts church property from taxation unless, unless, I actually use the names. I have to be careful how I speak about politics in the church, otherwise um, taxation will come to the church. The government does not tax our collections as this income because the church provides many charitable services to the community. So, Mac, we are number one in charitable contributions, the church. So in truth, there is no absolute separation of church and state. However, in this uneasy relationship, the church has the moral obligation. She has that right. And the numbers, you, and the strength, grace, to question policies of the government especially when gospel values are at stake. Because government policies have moral implications. 
It can build up or weaken our families. It can protect or destroy life. It strengthens or diminishes human dignity. It can support or burden the practice and the freedom of religion. Our Lord's words apply not only to church and state, but to religion and politics. Your faith is absolutely and without question to influence your politics. You influence your party of choice, not the other way around. You understand what I'm telling you? You influence your party. I do not tell you what party you are to adhere to. But I do tell you, you must influence it and not the other way around. And there is precedence for this because the church in its early days did exactly that. And it's not just from scriptures. You may go into the history books of the empire of Rome and the governments of the time to find out about these crazy Christians, this sect this cult of Christians, these nutty people who were told by someone that died on a cross to love others as he loved them and to fight for peace and for justice and to oppose that which is immoral. A rabbi and 12 men and the disciples of the early church changed the course of Western civilization. That is fact. And that is found outside the canons of the scriptures. But they're in the scriptures too. So yes, you have that right. We Christians are called to have and we do have an obligation to bring moral vision to the nation we live in. Because if you don't, someone else is going to bring in their vision of it. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? The non-believers. <laughs> do you think for one minute they are not going to bring their beliefs to the voting? Well, it's not a booth today gets to the letter because you're going to, have to mail it. You must do the same. So when the Lord says, repay to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to render to God what is God, the Lord is not speaking only about in the institutions of church and state. The Lord is also speaking about religion and politics. We have a responsibility to Caesar, the government. But our obligations are to the Heavenly Father. I suppose that the Lord is not saying, or what he is saying is don't confuse them with each other. We give government our taxes, our judgments, and in a limited way our loyalty as citizens. 
but our conscience and our soul and our life choices belong to God and God alone and no other. In the end, we, you, and I will be liable for what we have done as individuals and as citizens, not to Caesar, but to God. Yes, to God. And it matters to him. If you don't think so, go look at the book of Daniel. It'll explain everything there. I tell you, if you try to separate your faith from your politics, you will not have peace. In fact, you will be labeled a hypocrite by your pastor. Huh. I know some don't care. By the church, huh. don't care. By our Lord, you had better care then. <laughs> My friends, when there is a clash between what the government wants of us and what God has commanded, we must pray and discern greatly. And typically, when there is a clash, it is between moral issues and right ethics. We who are disciples must follow the higher law of God. What is by government deemed legal is not necessarily moral and ethical sometimes. Jesus called the Pharisees and the scribes and the Herodians hypocrites. First, because they were guilty of idolatry. I laugh because of what Jesus did. It's funny. He says, give me one of the denariuses. Give me a coin. He asks, and he, they produce it. He doesn't have one. He doesn't have any. Did you know that there was two forms of monetary things in Jesus' time? One by the Romans and one by the Jews. Jesus had the Jewish money in his pocket, but he didn't have the Roman money. So he tells them who are calling, being mean to him, he said, give me a coin. Here, I happen to have the coin. In doing so, that, those three groups of people were uh, being idolatrous, and uh, they were abetting the Roman government of their time, the very thing that they were trying to get Jesus to speak against. That's why he called them hypocrites. You hypocrites, what's in your pocket? Caesar. When his opponents produced the coin, they expose their own hypocrisy as they are carrying the very person and the engraved image of the very thing that they claim to be idolatry. In any event, Jesus, I believe, clearly says, repay then to Caesar what belongs to him. Reminding them that if they are benefiting, if they are benefiting from the advantages of living under the Roman government, they should pay their taxes. I absolutely, I'm not going to fight with Jesus. I absolutely agree with him. Protection from enemies, 
infrastructure, roads, waterways. Remember, the Romans had all that. They should pay their fair share of taxes. And 1 Peter 2.17, you'll find Peter say the same thing. Our Lord reminds them to render to God what God what it belongs to him. He reminds them of their loyalty and fidelity and love for God. In his words, however, he reminds them of the hypocrisy they have before God. The Pharisees and scribes claim to be loyal followers of God Almighty, but they refuse to listen to his teachings and his precepts in their actions. They refuse to accept the continuation of the revelation of God the Father, who was making it known through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, which they should have recognized. My friends, be careful. More and more, the governments of this world are not so much indifferent to God as they are spiteful and against him. Jesus, I believe, acknowledged government's role. Again, I refer to the book of Daniel. Especially, go read about King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebs, as I call him. And see. Jesus acknowledged government's role, but he also put forth, in very subtle ways, they have limited authority and limited power. And they never, ever replace God. God has first our loyalty, our fidelity, and love. Whatever else one pays to Caesar, do not give your conscience or your soul over to it. You understand what I'm telling you? This is as close to the line as I can get. I can't go any further without getting in trouble. And as it is, I'm going to get emails. <laughs> My friends, do not try to adjust your faith to align with your politics or your party. It will never work. You will not have peace. You are to be kingdom people all the time. It breaks my heart to come back from vacation and retreat to find emails. Father, did you know that your parishioners are fighting with each other, Republicans and Democrats? calling each other names on Facebook, spewing wretched words. How is that different from what I see in Washington, D.C.? How does that make you different from them? Don't be hypocrites. Stop fighting with each other. The early church, its members, did not agree politically on everything but they united in Christ. And in doing so, they shaped Western civilization. You, we, 
have to do the same thing. We must shape our nation. Jesus said, whose image is on the coin? So here's my challenge to you. Go home and stand in front of the mirror because we all do, I do. Go home and look in the mirror. Whose image do you see? You are made in God's image. You belong to him. You are to be his disciple in all things. Your parties are second. Amen? Stop fighting with each other. Nothing gets accomplished by that. We see that already, right? Please don't act that way. You can disagree politically, but do so with charity. Do so in the image of who you have been made on, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pray for grace, for peace, and yes, vote. Lord and sisters, I always run the risk that people misunderstand my homily, so I will reiterate St. Thomas More, be good citizens. Fulfill your responsibility, but remember who you are. You are God's servant. You belong to him, holiness and righteousness first, and glory to him and him alone. Amen?